0: Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Dean Selvi with Remax in Scottsdale, Arizona. Last year he closed. 220 transactions with a total sales volume of 60 million. His average sales price was 272,000 of which 100% were sellers. Dean has a 16-member team, 10 site sales agents, one sales manager, two marketing people, one bookkeeper, one admin compliance officer, and one team leader. Dean is the team leader of Arizona Builder Cells. He's been an agent for 37 years and works the Phoenix and Arizona markets. In his best year, 2006, he sold 470 homes worth $120 million and has sold over 10,000 homes in his career. In this call, Dean talks about his slow start and being an average agent his first five years. How his friend, Russell Shaw, opened his eyes to the enemy line concept to identify what was holding him back. And with that simple understanding, he doubled his production the next year. Why he focuses on net profit instead of units or volume. How to become a subject master expert. Today, 100% of his business is representing local and regional home builders and developers. Instead of looking for one listing at a time, he looks for builders who can give him 100 listings over time. His current pipeline has 1,700 homes that will enter the market, and he will be the listing agent. How he got into new home sales, what his competitive advantage is, and why builders hire him. His simple slogan, You Build, We'll Sell. The best ways to find new home buyers. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com that's free freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Dean. Hey, Mike.
1: Glad to be here with
0: you. Hey, Dean. It's great to have you here. Dean, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate.
1: Well, you're, you're taking me back... Um almost 40 years ago. I've been in the business now for 37 years, rolling up on 38. Immediately prior to my real estate career, I was actually in the men's clothing business and traveled uh, with a chain that was based out of Denver, Colorado, and uh, worked as store manager and as a local buyer. But that would seem like another life ago. Well,
0: for the people that are on that cusp What made you decide to get into real estate instead of
1: continuing to work with men's clothes? Yeah, so this is a, uh, this was my first motivational speech that anybody ever gave to me. My sister had gotten into real estate the year prior. So in 1980, she got into real estate and uh, she called me one day. She knew I was not happy in my current job. And she said to me, she says, there are idiots in my office making $100,000 a year. You're an idiot. I think you could do it, too. And I've often told the story that was my first motivational talk in real estate, you know. So I took her at her word. I quit my job. I moved back to Phoenix. I was living in northern Arizona at the time, so I quit. I moved back to Phoenix got into real estate with the promise that she would help me because i knew nothing about real estate and uh i took the test i passed it i got licensed in the company that where she was licensed and the very day i came on board is the very day she left to go work for a new home builder <laughs> and she left me on my own which was probably about the best thing she could have done and i had to sink or swim
0: Wow. Well, what happened that first year? Did you sink, swim? What happened? Was it a fast start, slow start?
1: I, yeah, it's a good question. I actually treaded water for a few years, managed to make enough money just to pay the bills, and I joked that I saw a lot of afternoon movie matinees uh, my first five years in the business because I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> I wasn't busy enough to really stay busy. I didn't have anybody who was really teaching me. I was just trying to figure it out, learn by osmosis, and, um, you know, do what I could do. And that's kind of what I did for the first few years in the business. Did you
0: make 100000 that first year?
1: No, gosh, no. I didn't earn 100000 until actually 1987. So six years in the business before I had earned 100000 And I can attribute. Matter of fact, I can tell you, 1986, I earned forty-two thousand uh, dollars. Happy to do it. I'd kind of been plateaued at around forty or forty-two thousand dollars a year in income, and I was having lunch one day with a mutual friend of ours, Russell Shaw, and Russ brought to my attention the concept of enemy line. And the way he explained it to me and the way I've used it for many years was that think of a football game where you have, you've got the ball, you're on offense, and all those defensive linemen are lined up against you. That's your enemy line. They're doing everything they can to stop you from succeeding. And I went, okay, I understand. And he goes, okay, so what's your enemy line? What's stopping you from succeeding? And I didn't even know how to begin analyzing the question, much less formulating an answer. And we were sitting at lunch, and he literally drilled through this with me for an hour or more. No, that's not it, he would say. And I'd offer some other crazy response, and he'd go, no, I don't think that's it either. What, what is it? What stops you from succeeding? And then I couldn't answer the question, but later that night, thinking about the question. I spotted it, I figured it out, and the next year I went from 42,000 to 107,000. And then every year thereafter, up, 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 up. So it was spotting my enemy line was, what was it that was keeping me from actually making any money? Well, Dean,
0: what was it? What was holding you back? Do you recall?
1: Oh, I recall very clearly. I held my father in very high esteem, always thought my father was one of the smartest men I knew. And uh, he was a mechanical engineer, very innovative, and he had never made more than $40,000 a year in his life. And somehow in in my twisted world of thinking, my limited worldview, I guess I should say, I kind of thought that if I made more money than he did, it would somehow diminish who he was, or at least who he was to me. And when I spotted that and realized, um, well, that's just stupid. My father would want me to succeed. My father would want me to make more money. And I recognized it for what it was. And um, that was it. It was literally not harder than that. I had just given myself permission to go make a bunch of money. And um, it was not more complicated than that.
0: Wow, that is super powerful. Thank you so much for sharing. I think a lot of people will benefit from that. Let me do this. Let me pull us up to today. You've been doing this for 37 years. How many homes did you sell last year? And what was the sales volume?
1: We did about $60 million in volume. Uh, about 200 to 220 closed transactions last year with a team of six, uh, for
0: 2017. Wow. We're going to get into the team in a minute. Just a couple more quick pieces. Your best year, what year was it? How many homes did you sell and what was the sales volume?
1: You know, so I can give you estimates because honestly, it's not something I track in terms of uh, actual sales volume every year. I have a different metric that I track for me, but 2006 was my top year. I did somewhere between 470 and 490 transactions, roughly, oh, about $125 million in volume, somewhere in that area. And uh, that was good enough to, make me the number one team with Remax in 2006.
0: Wow, that is fantastic. Have you ever gone back and added up how many homes you think you've sold in your career?
1: I stopped counting at (laughs) 10,000. I know we (laughs) crested the 10,000 mark a few years ago. So the answer is I really don't know what the total count is, but I stopped counting at 10,000. That's amazing.
0: you mentioned that there's another metric that you track. What is it?
1: Profit. I have the ability, all agents have the ability to sell a lot more homes than they're selling, to make a lot more money than they're making. But not all of them can do it profitably. And so the only thing I really track is net profit. And that, that's that's my metric. <laughs> it's a pretty valuable one. I learned a long one. time ago. Well, it is. I learned a long time ago that the bank will not accept all of my plaques and trophies through the drive through window. <laughs> so I stopped kind of tracking awards, and honestly, it's just not a motivator for me. Recognition is not my motivator. I'm uh, 62 years old, and I'm into profit.
0: That is awesome. Do you have a a net profit margin that you're trying to hit a percentage of your gross? Your gross GCI?
1: So in my market because of what I do is a little different. The answer the answer overall answer is yes. As a percentage of my gross GCI, I'm looking at thirty-five to thirty-eight percent profit. And for some agents they'll go, Well, that's really low, but I'm structured a lot differently than most resale. Agents. So, yeah, 35 to 38%. But I figured out over the years, for me, I know exactly what my profit is per deal. So I can tell you, I can look back at last year and go, okay, well, here's my net profit. Here's how many homes I sold. This is my net profit per deal. And I know some people will say, well, Dean, that would change depending on price. It doesn't really change depending on price for me. Again, just the way I'm structured. So I know how much money I can make on every closing. And now it's just a matter of doing more closings. Do you have a target
0: net income that you're going after each year? Is that your goal?
1: It is now. I can't tell you that it's always been my goal. That wouldn't be a truthful statement, but it is now. So, yes. So, I mean, for example, 2018... I'm probably oversharing, but I'm after a net profit this year in the seven fifty range, and I know that for two thousand nineteen and twenty, that number is going to be seven digits and then multiple seven digits by two thousand and twenty.
0: Wow, that is fantastic. Thank you for sharing Now you mentioned that your net profit margin goal is thirty five to thirty eight That's actually pretty common for people in your volume level, and it's actually towards the higher end. So I like that number. Has that number floated a lot for you over the years? What was the lowest it got to and the highest it got to, this net percentage?
1: Oh, yeah. I had years of high volume and almost no profit. So the range has been from zero to probably as high as 40 or 45%. I think in 2006, we probably hit 45%. I'd actually have to go back and look at that. I don't recall off the top of my head, but yeah.
0: Well, let's do this. You have mentioned that your structure is a little bit different than everyone else. Tell us what do you mean by that? What are you doing?
1: So we don't do resale. We do, uh, I represent local and regional home builders and developers with outsourced site sales and marketing and consulting and branding for new home builders. So here's what that looks like. In my market, I represent six or seven different developers and builders, and we supply them with the site sales agents for their new home, their model homes, community representatives, if you will. And uh, they outsource sales and marketing to us rather than doing it in-house, say like a national home builder would do. Why are they doing that? We tell our builders you build we'll sell. You know, that's the simplistic version of this. Most home builders on the local level, the local and regional level are really not equipped to run their sales teams. They don't have the they don't have the manpower and frankly they don't really even have the experience in doing that, but they're great builders. They're great builders They're excellent developers. They know their product, they know their market, and that's all good. They just need to outsource sales to us. And you can't have a guy worrying about a construction schedule and at the same time, worrying about whether uh, the salesperson showed up today. So they outsource that to us. What is
0: the difference between a home builder and a developer?
1: Sure. In our market, the difference is very simple. The home builder is the guy who actually runs the construction crews. Typically, home builders here are smaller, they do smaller developments, and a developer could also be a builder, but he's the guy that's going out buying the land. He's a guy or gal buying the land and doing the entitlements, um, you know getting getting it ready to be built. So there's development work which precedes building. And usually a builder is a builder and a developer is a developer. Sometimes in our market, they overlap, but that's generally the difference between the two.
0: You said that currently you're working with about six or seven of these folks. How many of those are developers and how many of those are builders?
1: Oh, I hadn't thought of that question. Uh, I would say the answer is probably four are builders and two are developers.
0: What exactly are you doing for, say, the developer? That sounds like you're not putting site sales people out there yet. Are you helping them acquire the land and subdivide it?
1: I do some of that. Once or twice a year, I'll be involved with a project from the inception where it's land acquisition, and I'll help the developer do the actual acquisition. I might broker the land to them. It's not the biggest part of my business. I'll tell you, it's just kind of a sidebar to my business. And we might take it through zoning or rezoning, municipal approvals, planning, engineering, those kind of things. It's actually what I love to do, but it doesn't, that's a fickle business. And it's not one that I'm going to hang my hat on for all of my income. I love the site sales business too, but there is something kind of exciting about finding a piece of raw dirt and turning it into a finished product.
0: Now, you said that your bread and butter, though, is coming from the site sales. So let's focus on that, the work with the builders and the site sales. How many homes are these folks typically building, these builders,
1: in, say, a year? My largest builder does about 150 homes a year now. Uh, He's growing his business and last year he did about 75 this year he'll do about 150 next year he'll do about 250 i have other builders that do anywhere from 30 or 40 homes a year that's fairly routine for most of our local builders is to do a you know do 30 or 40 homes a year in our marketplace
0: so you have these Just a few relationships that are really tight with these builders, and that's developed. That results in 200 plus transactions a year. Question would be: How did you make the relationship with the builders? How did this develop? How did you find them? How did they find you? How did the trust develop?
1: Sure. So, backing up, just taking a a little longer view of how that developed. Back in the late '80s, I had done some. New home sales for a couple of builders on into the nineties. It was not the lion's share of my business, but it was a part of my business and Then, in about two thousand, I joined with a partner and we started doing a lot of new construction. I split with that partner shortly thereafter it was not a good marriage. so I split with that partner and uh, had decided I'd go back into the resale arena in 2002. And that was at the very beginning of a ramp up in business in the Phoenix market. And I had a developer or a builder call me, a Canadian client call me and said, I'm doing, getting ready to do a condo conversion in Phoenix. Uh, would you be interested in assisting me with the sales? And I said, no, uh, I didn't do condo conversions. I didn't like condo conversions. Uh, I had no interest in it at all. And he persisted. He said, I really don't know who else to call, and I don't really have the energy to go try and find somebody. I know you, and I'm going to do this, and I want you to be a part of it. I said no three or four times, and finally he said, no, we're going to do this together. (laughs) Come on, you can do it. And so his persistence – Sort of drugged me kicking and screaming into the condo conversion market. And I realized that my postulate on condo conversions was all wrong. And by 2003 and then to 2004, that market was really starting to take off here in the Metro Phoenix market. And uh, I started doing condo conversions. And by 2007, I had done about 70 of those kind of projects. And had become a subject matter expert on condo conversions and found myself with more clients that I could handle, more communities than I ever thought possible. And uh, that's what propelled our really uh, meteoric growth from 2002 to 2006. Our market in the Metro Phoenix area crashed in late 07, early 08. And uh, with it went the condo conversion market. And, um, and that was fine. Uh, all good things come to an end. But uh, that's kind of how I got back into uh, new home sales. So as our market started rebounding in 2010 and 11 here in the Metro Phoenix area, I decided I didn't want to really be a resale agent. God bless the resale agents of the world. I love them and respect them. It just wasn't what I wanted to do. I was really looking for something entirely different with my real estate career. And I decided that I would take my expertise in site sales, what I learned about hiring, staffing, training, sales techniques, keeping deals together, closing deals, etc. I would take all of that knowledge that I had gained and I would try and translate it into new construction so i did a project outside of my market area up in flagstaff arizona uh in 2011 and 12 and haven't looked back since we've probably now done another 40 or more communities since then
0: wow i want to go back for a minute did you say that in 2000 that you were the builder you were building with a
1: partner no, I, was, I had partnered with a another local broker here to represent home builders.
0: And did that partner have expertise in that market? Is that where you learned the strategies?
1: He had no expertise in that market. We learned it together, honestly. Ah, okay. Um, we just, you know, I, I love using the phrase subject matter expert, SME. <laughs> and we were SMEs on, you know, we, we really learned the business. And uh, that's really been my, sort of my uh, go-to position on no matter what I've done in my real estate career, I always wanted to be the subject matter expert. I believe that all things are knowable. And unfortunately, so many agents are taught, don't talk about financing because you don't know it. Don't talk about construction because you don't know it. Don't talk about title insurance because you don't know it. Well, guess what? Somebody does know it. Therefore, it's knowable. Therefore, I want to know it. And you know, I believe all of us should be subject matter experts on almost everything. And I know a lot of agents won't like to hear that, but that's just the way I've always operated my business. I have a thirst for knowledge and a thirst for knowing how things are done. It
0: sounds to me like you're combining that with the desire to get into a certain field where you say, I want to learn about this field, I want to be part of this field, and you label yourself as an expert or an up-and-coming expert, and that's motivating you to go out there and learn it so that you can provide the services for it. Am I getting that
1: correct? You are getting that correct. But there was, in addition to what you've just said, which was all accurate, I also learned that in new home sales, instead of me going out as a resale agent and getting a listing today, my goal is to go out and get a development today. Go out and get a a hundred listings rather than one. And so I like the math of doing new home sales. I wanted to become the subject matter expert so that a builder had no reason not to sell their homes with me. And for me it was all about the math. I wanted to to be the very best I could be and know the most I could know so that I had a fighting chance with all my builders to go get their community and to be able to sell their 30 homes or 100 homes or 500 homes whatever the case might be rather than just go out and get a listing today.
0: Now a quick word from our sponsor Real GTV. Real Estate Agent Lead Generation Television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real G TV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now back to the show. How did you go about educating yourself and becoming an expert at new home construction and New home site sales.
1: Well, there are several things. From a construction standpoint, I have always been intrigued by construction. I've wanted to know why are things built the way they're built. Uh, Inquiring minds want to know, I suppose. And I took some courses, but I also, as I kind of learned as I went, because I would, I wanted to be involved with every construction meeting I wanted to understand the sequence. I wanted to understand the uh, materials that were used. I wanted to understand why. And that really helped me a lot. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not a home builder. I could build a home, but that's not what I do for a living. I'm not a licensed general contractor, but I could pass the test. I'm positive. I've just learned a lot about construction. And, uh, it's very helpful to me. It's very helpful for me to have a conversation with a builder on the builder's level. If the builder wants to talk about problems they're having with subcontractors, I can engage them on that conversation. If the builder wants to talk about problems they're having with the cost of lumber or concrete or the problems in getting, you know, labor or whatever, I needed to be able to understand what the builder's issues were. And so I just decided I better. if I'm going to be in this business, I better know it. That would be true of anybody in any business, by the way.
0: When you first went down this path of new home construction, you knew a little bit about resale, but I assume you didn't know a lot about construction. How did you convince builders to work with you?
1: Uh, I didn't compete on the premise that I was a construction expert. I competed on the premise that I was a sales expert. The rest of it, learning construction and all those other kind of things, even like builder's risk and liability and all that kind of stuff, learning that came later. I competed on the premise that I was a sales expert, that I would do for them what nobody else in my market could do for them. I'd have their sales offices open 55 hours a week, that I was an expert on driving traffic into my sales offices, that I understood marketing, that I understood buyers, that I understood buyer behavior, that we could overcome objections, that we would work a critical path of sales so that we didn't leave any stone unturned for the buyers that were coming into their community. That was the place that I competed on, not construction knowledge. The construction knowledge came later.
0: I think you summed it up very early on when you said, You build it, we'll sell it. That's your USP. That's my USP.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. In, in what we do, it sounds simple, but if somebody's going to go represent new home builders, They'd better make darn sure that they can deliver on this promise. And there's a lot of variables. You've got to hire the right salespeople. They've got to have the right personality type. They have to be able to close. You know, get, salespeople are wonderfully nice people, but they don't like to close necessarily because they, like everybody else, they have a fear of rejection. And so you've got to get salespeople that can close. You've got to get salespeople who are trainable, You have to get people who don't feel like they know everything there is to be known, but yet are willing to learn. And so there was a lot to the whole premise of you build it, we'll sell it. And those were the areas that we really had to refine and make sure that we were delivering the best possible product and service.
0: So you brought up a really good point. First of all, you talk about, Marketing, we'll come back to that, getting people into the communities. But let's talk about your salespeople there at the community. Uh, You said that you have, uh, you need certain personality types and they have to be able to close. Are you familiar with the DISC personality profile? Do you use it? And if so, what do you want your salespeople to be?
1: So I'm, I'm very familiar with DISC and we have, we used to DISC test almost everybody. If I'm truthful with you, I'm going to tell you I've actually stopped using DISC for most of my prospective agents. Once in a while, I'll meet somebody who I'm not completely clear on their personality type and I'll DISC test them. I like the strengths assessment from Discovering Your Strengths. I actually, if I'm going to test anybody, I'm more likely to use that one. What I do instead is just over the years, I've learned what I'm looking for in a salesperson. And, you know, a test is good, but I like to spend a lot of time with my salespeople. And I pretty well know the profile of who I'm looking for. You know, this combination of eagerness, a can-do attitude, obviously some experience, some relevant experience, some product knowledge, that kind of thing, that all helps. I know, for example, if I hire somebody that has 20 years of new home sales experience, I really don't have to teach them anything about construction. I don't really have to teach them anything about a critical path of sales. All I really have to do is make sure that they can learn our software systems, our processes, that kind of thing. On the other hand, I want to make sure that They're not so set in their ways that they can't adapt to an independent sales organization. So I've just learned over the years what I'm looking for and who I get along with. Do you prefer experienced agents
0: or new agents?
1: I have opportunities for both. I prefer new home sales experience for my full-time site sales people. We recruit from some of our local national builders here that don't particularly treat their salespeople very well. And so uh, it's pretty easy for me to get salespeople. I do have some opportunities for newer agents. I don't want somebody who's brand new, brand new in the business, never written a contract and doesn't know what an escrow is. That's not who I'm looking for. But we do have some salaried floater positions that just rotate from community to community, filling in for our salespeople on their days off. And I can take an inexperienced new home salesperson and introduce them to the business almost like on an internship basis that way.
0: Very good. Now, you mentioned software. Are you using some type of unique software product? I am. And
1: a lot of our builders have their own. And so one of our characteristics is we have to know... A lot of different software programs that the builders might be using. And so currently we have several builders who use a software called Build Pro and it schedules all of their construction, but it also integrates the wholesales component with options and upgrades and lot premiums and those kind of things as well. So fortunately, right now, most of our builders are using Build Pro. However, um, we do have other builders that are not. For
0: agents who haven't worked with builders on this side, there's not a lot of people who have. How is the compensation worked out between you and the builder? Is it similar to a resale?
1: How is it worked out? Sure, it is. It's a commission-based program, and I charge all of our builders a percentage of the final sales price. And we charge only a list-side fee. We don't charge a sale side fee. So, for example, if a buyer comes into our community accompanied with a broker representing them, I'm going to get paid the same amount as if that buyer comes in without a broker representing them. So, we just charge a list side fee, and that makes our income very predictable. For many years, I charged, I used a resale model for home builders. And I would charge them this, uh, here's a fee if you have a co-broke, here's a fee if you don't have a co-broke. I just found over the years, it was just more predictable and more profitable for us. If I didn't worry about what percentage co brokers there were, and by that, I mean, for those in other markets that may not be familiar with that term, for us, a co is a buyer that comes into a new home community represented by an outside broker. So we call that a co-broke. So I don't want to have to worry about what that percentage is. If it's 20% or if it's 50% or if it's 80% in some communities, that's fine. My income is predictable and we charge a list side fee only.
0: The list side fee, is that a flat
1: fee? It is a percentage.
0: Oh, it is a percentage. Okay, because you mentioned earlier, you know, pretty much what your net profit's is going to be on each sale. And so I was wondering if you just had a flat fee for each sale. And that way you knew what it was going to be. Are you paying the co-broke or the buyer's agent out of your side of the fee? No, the builders pay that separately. And so does the builder's expense go up if there's a co-broke versus
1: just you being the sales agent? It definitely goes up. Yeah, they're paying both of us. So
0: is there an incentive for the builder to not want to
1: work with a co-broke? Look, builders don't want to pay any more co-brokes than they absolutely have to. But resale agents bringing buyers into our community is absolutely vital to the success and this overall sales velocity of any community. So any builder that says, I don't want to pay co-brokes, they're just cutting themselves off at the knees. And if we roll the clock back and we look at 2006, a lot of home builders in the Arizona market got very cocky when the market was really great, and, and we don't want a co-broke, and we're not going to offer our homes on MLS, and we're not going to pay brokers. And they were the ones that were out of business the first. And it's funny, some of them have never recovered. So it's really in a builder's interest to focus on sales velocity, not how many co-brokes there are. Velocity for a home builder is the most important thing. we And we preach this to our builders. There's a big difference in a builder's cost if I can sell four homes a month in their communities versus selling three homes a month in their communities. If you look at your interest carry, if you look at your construction costs, if you look at your back-end costs, velocity is always your friend. If you look at your interest carry just on your construction loan, You want me to sell as many homes as fast as I possibly can. We are velocity brokers, and we'll tell our builders that. We are velocity brokers. We want uh, as many sales every month as we can. And some builders will go, well, yeah, but I don't need you to get too far ahead of construction. I can't build them that fast. Well, we'll worry about that later. Our job is to sell them and keep people in the deals. So velocity is probably the most important thing that we can sell to a builder. Likewise, along that line, one of the things we work with our salespeople on is how many buyers have to come in for every sale that they get. And if I can just trim off, if I can just shorten that ratio just a little bit in every community, and if I can make sure that we're hitting all of our close dates right on time. Then the salespeople make more money, they make it faster, and my builders make more money as well. So we watch all of those kind of factors in our community. What is that number? What is the
0: number typical number of buyer visits per sale?
1: Well, it will vary a little bit depending on the type of product you're selling. For example, condo product, our numbers are about one out of 18 to one out of 20. So that means 5% of the buyers walking through the door are actually buying. And however, it does take two and a half to three visits on a condo project to get a buyer to write a contract. So if I can just shorten that up from one out of 20 to maybe one out of 15, then we can sell 25% more homes every year. And so that's what we work on with our salespeople. In single family detached residential in a moderate price point, that number should be about one out of fifteen walking through will actually buy. And how many visits before a purchase? On single family detached, one to one and a half visits, you know, maybe a second visit. They need to bring a family member back in or something like that. Condo always takes more. Single family detached takes fewer visits.
0: That is excellent. Uh, You mentioned the velocity broker concept and that makes a lot of sense to me because the more sales you have and the quicker they happen the more demand and perceived demand there is in the market the more excited people are about the community and i assume you can even push the prices up
1: we can indeed and that's that's a big part of my job is to tell a home builder here's our opportunity to raise prices for you here's a model that's selling very well And we think we could raise your prices to this point without affecting your velocity. One of the biggest mistakes home builders make is they'll raise prices and then it will kill their velocity. And all we've done is we've just found a price that the home won't sell for. And, you know, we'll look for those opportunities. Maybe we have some lots that need to have a premium on them or we can push the premium uh, a little bit more. Or the reverse of that is maybe we have something that's not selling so well and we need to create some incentives. So uh, we look for all of those kind of things.
0: Are all the site folks, your team, are they all licensed?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, they're all licensed.
0: You basically have a business model where you're 100% working with the builders, 100% working with sellers. You are working with buyers when they come in. Are you making a disclosure to the buyer that you're representing the seller?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, we make that disclosure early on on a buyer registration form. We make it to their outside brokers, to the buyer brokers, through a buyer broker registration form, and it's also reinforced in the purchase agreement. If a buyer comes in
0: to the the sales office and they have a home that they need to sell, Will you go out and represent that buyer as a seller's agent to get their home sold, or will you refer that out?
1: So I have an agent in our organization that does our contingency sales. We do not offer it a guarantee program, but we do offer an agent that will come out and market your home at a reduced rate so that we can meet your contingency requirements.
0: Very smart. This has been very exciting now. So, people understand the big picture of the team. Let's talk about the team for a second. Could you describe the overall team? We're looking for uh, position titles, folks in that position, and what they're responsible for.
1: Sure. I have, so I own the company, and I do have a full time sales manager who works with me as well. Then I have site salespeople in every community, uh, usually just one, although I have some larger communities that do require two full time salespeople to cover for uh, you know schedules you know days off and those kind of things, and then I have two people in marketing they're both part time. One does all of our sales centers and display homes and that kind of thing, and the other one does just our graphic design for floor plan, site plan, that kind of thing. So they're both part-time. And then I have a full-time admin. And she's my admin, but she's also what we call our compliance officer. So we certainly have some compliance documents that are required in the state of Arizona that must accompany new home sales. And deals can't close without those. So that's her job is to make sure that we're always fully in compliance with all forms And her biggest job is as my admin. And then I also have a full-time bookkeeper and that's the entire staff.
0: How many site sales agents do you have working for you?
1: I currently have 10 uh, because we've recently opened up a bunch of new communities Uh, before the end of the year. I'll probably be at 14. I think I'm going to have to hire four more yet this year. And our projections are that by next summer, summer of 2019, we'll probably be at 20 full-time salespeople.
0: Wow, that is fantastic. I think I missed asking you a question earlier, and I want to go back just for a quick second. You said you also drive traffic into the communities through your marketing efforts. What do you
1: doing there? Sure. So a number of things for, again, Every market is unique and what's allowed and what is effective could vary from market to market. In my market, we do things like um, weekend bandit, we call them bandit signs. Uh, We put out a hundred signs around the community up on Friday nights and down on Sunday morning. Then we uh, that drives weekend traffic. We do things like well, we do. We spend a lot of money with Zillow. We can talk about Zillow all you'd like. I personally don't like Zillow. I wish I didn't have to use them. However, uh, they are my number one lead source for new construction, and so it's sort of we got to go dance with the devil, you know. And so Zillow certainly MLS, bandit signs, marketing signs, broker email blasts. Some special events, not very often. I don't generally like those, and they're not as effective. And then that's really about it for our marketing. Some print ads, if, if it makes sense for the individual communities.
0: Let's go back to Zillow. You said that's your number one source of leads. What specifically are you doing inside Zillow to drive traffic to the community?
1: Uh, Zillow has a new construction tab on both the Zillow app and the Zillow website. So uh, we put all of our homes on the Zillow new construction side, and we do uh, the Zillow walkthrough video on individual listings as well. And that's a, uh, that's a real plus. Our Zillow walkthrough videos definitely get us a lot more hits than those that don't have the walkthrough videos.
0: You know, we were preparing earlier, and I saw a note that you made. I just want to ask about it. Did you happen to say that your pipeline of homes coming into the market is somewhere around 1700 Is that true?
1: That is accurate. That is right.
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
1: This is the beauty of having new homes. I can predict my pipeline. You know, I can go out. I Just this past weekend, I worked with a builder in the acquisition of two communities that's going to bring me another 200 listings next year. So I can kind of predict where I'm going to be. But right now we have a little over 1,700 listings, either active or in our pipeline.
0: If there was somebody listening and they were on either side of this new home construction deal, where they either wanted to be a representative or they wanted to hire one, what type of compensation is there for those folks?
1: Sure. Uh, So my full-time site salespeople are paid a percentage of sales as well. So I have a list side fee of which they get a percentage. Typically, I will pay my site salespeople anywhere from 0.75% to 1.25%. And it varies based on price and projected velocity in the community. Oh, wow. There are some factors there. Uh, but you stop and think about this. Let's say the average price is $300,000. They're making a point. They're making three grand a deal. And if their projected velocity is five homes a month, they're going to make $15,000 a month with zero overhead. My agents have zero overhead. They don't pay anything, they don't pay any fees, et cetera. All that's paid for them. So a site salesperson, a good site salesperson, should make anywhere from $100,000 to $150,000 a year in my market. Well, Dean, what drives you? Uh, that's a great question. You know, for me, I am always like to challenge. There's an old saying, if you're going to play better golf, you better play with better golfers. So I surround myself with some of the best agents in the business. And they inspire me and they challenge me. But I think really for me, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it well. I want to be the expert at it. I want to understand it. And, you know, to be candid with you, Mike, I could be doing a lot more business than I am doing, but I really like doing my business well. I like doing it right. There are other brokers in my market who do what I do and they're constantly getting fired. I like having happy clients. I like having happy developers. I love the success of selling out a community. It's just that's a thrill for me. So what drives me, I think is just doing it well and you know, just uh I'm also very driven by profit. I'm not going to lie to you. I like nice things. <laughs> so um that doesn't that doesn't hurt either. <laughs> that's great. So, pride
0: and profit—you the pride of doing a good work. I, I love that. I would, yeah, I love that. Pride and profit. Well, Dean, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting into business, what would you tell them to do first?
1: I think, given today's market and how rapidly the real estate markets change, and how how the real estate careers have changed, if I were a brand new agent, if I knew what I know, you know, when I was getting into the business, I would go join a team. I would not try and do this by myself. I would join a team. I would learn everything I could learn. I would be a student of the business. I would learn everything I could learn about houses. That's what we're selling. So you, you might as well understand neighborhoods. You might as well understand how they're built. You might as well understand everything there is to know you better understand financing. Uh, you better understand processes. I like the idea of learning systems and best practices. And um, so if I'm a new agent getting in into business, for the first four or five years, I'm going to go join a team. I'm going to probably cut my teeth working buyers, understanding how buyers act, how buyers respond, you know, what what makes a good buyer, uh, what makes a good buyer's agent. And I'm gonna learn everything I can learn about this business with not a real big focus on income. I would buy my education, I think, for the first few years, and then decide where you want your career to go. Do you even like it? You know, are you doing it because you like it or you're doing it because you have to do it. And so I think that's what I'd probably do.
0: Excellent advice. Well, Dean, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind agents are valuable?
1: Well, sure. Remember the, remember the saying, you play better golf, play with better golfers.
0: This is the place to learn. Well, Dean, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners?
1: Sure. I actually, I actually do. And it took me a long time to learn this and to really understand this. Success is measured in a number of ways, the least of which is how many homes you sell. So don't neglect your family. If you're a parent, don't neglect your kids. Don't pursue another deal or another 100 deals or another 500 deals at the risk of your health and the risk of your family. Not everything has the same level of priority. So prioritize, do the things that make you happy, but don't neglect your obligations and measure your success personally rather than by how many homes you sell and how much money you make. Along the way, you're going to learn how to make a lot of money, but sometimes the cost is too high. I did learn in my 40s, I learned somebody told me that My peak earning years would be my fifties and my sixties. And it was that came at a time when I thought that my career was at peak. It was ebbing. And um, they were right. I made more money in my fifties and sixties than I ever made in my thirties and forties. So learn everything you can learn, take care of your family, and you've got plenty of time to make money.
0: Well, Dean, great advice. Nothing is more important than family. Agents would be wise to heed your advice and prioritize family time over business time. And thank you for sharing your unique business model of 100% focus on representing new home builders and developers. You show the power of a niche market and becoming a subject matter expert, and basing business decisions on net profit rather than units or volume. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 320 homes last year, 75% by referral. Find out who he is in the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, Real Estate Agent Lead Generation Television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward.
1: You've been listening to success calls on the
0: Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.